0: All right, well, as you know, we are continuing through the book of Luke, and I was very gratified to know as I began to prepare that the Palm Sunday selection from the book of Luke lines up with our study, and uh, so I, I think that's a blessing, and I really appreciate the opportunity to share with you this morning, so if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to Luke 19, 29. We'll begin reading at 29, and we will read, first of all, the first five verses when Jesus sends his disciples ahead with specific instructions. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Beth Pidge, and Bethany at the mount called out, called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, saying, "Go ye into the village over against you, in the which, at your entering, you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man asks you, why do you loose him? This you shall say, unto him, because the Lord hath need of him, need of him." And they that were sent went their way and found even as he said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said to them, Why you loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they sat Jesus thereon. <clears throat> So I want you to notice a couple things here. First of all, he sends two of his disciples to um, find this cult. We read in another gospel that it was James, that it was Peter and John that he sent. Of course, we know that Peter and John were part of the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And uh, so he tells them. Go into this village, and you'll find this cult. Bring it to me. And he says, if they ask you what you're doing with it, tell them that the Master has need of it, and they'll let you take it. And I I was just thinking about this as I was considering and contemplating Good Friday coming up. Because I I wrote a a really special um, Good Friday podcast, which will be posted on my website on Friday, I'm very excited to share it with you all. It's a first person narrative of John as he experienced the events of that week. And the thing that I thought of is the fact that whenever Jesus said something or told his disciples something, it always happened the way he said. And looking back at this, I want to say that since I went, since these disciples went into the town and they found the cult the way that they were told it would be that they should have believed him when he once again told them that he was leaving he says where i go you know in the way you know and philip says lord show us the father and he says jesus said if you have seen me you have seen the father And then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But being human, these men did not take that into consideration, probably until well after these events had taken place. There's a point at which it says that they saw the empty tomb and then they remembered what Jesus said. And I just, I think it's very specific. You know, he talks about how this is a cult that no one ever sat on. And if you know anything about horses or donkeys or any animal like that, you have to break an animal typically before you can ride it. It's not something that happens that you can just jump on on an animal and have it behave but see the one that was sitting on this donkey was the one that created it but as my father pointed out to me there are other passages of this time where it says that you'll find a colt and its mother so jesus took the mother with the colt so that the colt would not be distressed So even in this time, Jesus is showing care and compassion. The Bible says in Proverbs that the righteous man careth for his beast. And we see that in Jesus. This seems like a little thing, but this is the Jesus that you and I serve. And of course... They did end up being asked, what are you doing with it? And they used the response that Jesus told them to. And they let them take it. It's just so precise. It's so specific. The details are here. And one of the reasons why I chose to speak on the book of Luke is because of the detail. Because Dr. Luke... Was someone who was dedicated to details. He didn't leave anything out. We can also see if you look, if somebody will look up Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. We can see that this, in and of itself, was a prophecy fulfilled. And and for future for further reference, um, I believe it's also mentioned in. Genesis 49, in Israel's blessings of his sons, when he blesses Judah, he mentions the colt. But if we could look at, if we could read Zechariah 9, verse 9.
1: Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt full of a donkey.
0: Consider, if you will, as we read on, that the Pharisees who spent their whole life studying the Old Testament, they should know it like the back of their hand. But they're seeing it play out in front of their eyes. And what do they say? Make these people be quiet. Make them stop rejoicing. And what does Jesus say? He said, if they stop rejoicing, even the stones will cry out. Because there has to be rejoicing over the fact that I'm coming in Jerusalem. As my father pointed out in the first meeting, he was declaring himself to be king when he took this ride. And his disciples were showing great honor to him because it, it will say as we go on, that they sat him on the colt. It's a place of honor. So our first point is that Jesus had specific directions for his disciples and everything that Jesus said was fulfilled in the way that it was told that it would be. And so if the things that Jesus said then were fulfilled as he said, then the things that he has said to us for the future will also be fulfilled. Our second section, Luke 19, 35-40, is the people rejoice when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Verse 35, And they brought Him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they sat Jesus thereon. And as they went, they spread their clothes in the way, And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitudes said to him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Again, the Pharisees, the ones that should have known the truth, were lost. Think of the verse where Jesus says, you have hidden the truth from the wise and have made it known unto the simple." How precious it is that he takes someone who is the simplest of the simple and makes them a child of God. I'm nothing special. I you know, I'll probably be be married, you know, someday, and relatively few people will know of my life. But you know what? Hopefully through me, they will know of the God whom I serve. And that legacy will hopefully carry on for years to come after I'm gone. Because that is what matters. Jesus is what matters. And we see here, as I said, we, we see that these people are um, so excited for Jesus to come. They knew that he was, said something big was going to happen. I think some of them might have thought that it represented more of an earthly kingdom. Of course, Jesus would say later, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, then would my servants fight? You see, if Jesus was going to be a king over this world as it was then, his, his disciples, not just Peter, would have fought to the death for him to be released from being arrested. And he would have continued on his way. Think about all the times that he did continue on his way when they wanted to take him. Remember when the Pharisees sent a band of soldiers to arrest Jesus before the time and they came back empty-handed and they, said, and they said, well, where is Jesus? We told you to arrest him. And they said these simple words. No man ever spoke like this man. You see, when Jesus spoke, he spoke with the authority of the God of heaven because that's who he was. And it could not be disputed. I, I can't help but think. I used to think, well, they didn't want Jesus because they didn't believe he was king. But the more I look at it, the more I realize they realized to a certain extent his role, but they said, we don't want him to reign over us. That's what they said.
2: We will not have this man to reign over us. We have no king but Caesar. They lamented, they lamented the bondage of Rome and wanted freedom Earthly freedom
0: from Rome, and yet they said, we have no king but Caesar. What in the world were they thinking? Saying, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. When else was this said? If you look back in Luke, Chapter two, the angels appear to the shepherd and what did they say? Peace on the earth and goodwill toward men. For this day in the city of David is born to you a savior who is Christ the Lord. My friends, the cradle pointed to the cross. The cradle pointed to the triumphal entry. His disciples told him repeatedly, "Don't go to Jerusalem; they will kill you." And he set his face as a flame. And on this day, he entered in. Tom Bernard writes, "The crowd was clueless. They never got it right. They shouted praises. He wept." They looked for a warrior king riding a white stallion. They got a carpenter riding a donkey. They wanted hype. They got a healer. They wanted a prophet. They got one who fulfilled prophecy. They wanted a scepter. They got a savior. They got nothing they asked for but everything they needed. Only they never got it. They were clueless. Jesus was the only one who really knew what was happening on the first Palm Sunday. It is easy to become like those in Jerusalem. We think we know what's going on, but we really don't have a clue. We have a bad week and we blame God. Our kids act out and we blame the school. We work two jobs and wonder why things aren't better at home. Jesus comes to our town and he wants to help, but we don't recognize him for who he is. We think he will be impressed with our boats and our businesses and our stuff. He is not. He wants our hearts. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. If we can look at Revelation, chapter 5, verses 9 to 14. Revelation 5, 9 to 14. This was the day that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. An earthly proclamation of His kingship. But there's coming a day when He will enter once again. Could someone read that for us?
1: And all that are in them heard I say, Blessed and blessings and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever.
0: I think when we finally get to glory and we see see the risen Christ in the flesh. That's when we will finally understand what Palm Sunday was all about. Our finite minds can't comprehend that now to a certain extent. In this third small section, it's different and definitely took some research on my part. Luke nineteen forty one to 44 says, And when he was come near, beheld, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou at least in this thy day the thing which belong the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round And keep thee on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation. And you know, there are some applications to the Old Testament because we see over and over again that the children of Israel were told by God, If you do this, I will bless you. But if you don't do this, then I will punish you. He doesn't punish them because he wanted... To just be this horrid, vengeful God. He punished them because he wanted them to see that without him they could do nothing. And I found this um, little summary of these verses. It says, Luke 19, 41-44 shows that kingdom conditions had been presented to Israel. But because of Israel's unbelief, there would be a disastrous national consequences. These consequences occurred in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. Sadly but accurately, Jesus' predictions came to pass. The day of visitation was missed. Isn't it at least slightly ironic to you that they used the power and authority of the Romans to crucify the Lord of Life? These people that care nothing for them and were going to destroy them not many years hence. But they used that authority to nail our Savior to the cross. I'd like to believe that if I was there, I, I wouldn't have consented. But I remember the words of Peter when he said, I would die for you before I deny you. And Jesus said, before the cop crows three times, you will deny that you ever knew me. You know, I've thought about the fact that Peter gets a bad rap because he said that, but I wonder how many of the other disciples were thinking the same thoughts. They just didn't voice them because they weren't brash like Peter. Often when we hear Somebody outspoken and the first thought is that they're rude and they shouldn't have said it. The second thought is they're just saying what I was thinking. I was just smart enough not to say it. (laughs) But the point being that I don't know what I would have done. All I know is that my sin nailed him to the cross. All I know is that when he was hanging there on the cross, he looked into eternity future and he saw me. And he knew my name and he chose me because he chose me before the foundations of the world. And he said, I'm doing this so that Andrew can live. And he says the same thing to you. We can look quickly at Psalm 119, 136. Psalm 119, 136. This is again speaking of the children of Israel and how they disregarded the law of God. You know, Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem, but God, I believe, had wept over the Jews from the very beginning. So if someone could find that for us,
1: the rivers of water run down my eyes because they keep not thy law.
0: Again, the psalmist in Psalm one nineteen is extolling the law of God. So when he sees people not obeying the law, he weeps for it. That's a challenge to me because do I weep? over the sin of my country? Do I weep over the sin of those around me who are lost and are going to a Christless eternity? A friend of mine did a video where she was talking about the importance of the gospel and how She didn't understand sometimes how hard it was for the world to comprehend the gloriousness of the gospel. And she was just weeping. And I thought of that, that we we should weep. John said in, in Revelation that when he realized that there was no one worthy to open the book he wept much. But then he realized that The Lamb was worthy to open the book, to loose its seals. See, the hard work is done. Jesus took care of it. The final section of this chapter is when Jesus casts out the money changers from the temple. It's interesting that he starts his ministry this way in John chapter 2. And then he ends it the same way here in Luke 19. And he went into the temple, and he began to cast out them that sold therein, and then they bought, saying, It is written, My house... Is the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And then what does he do after that? He uses it for its proper purpose. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. And they could not find what they might do, for all the people were attentive to hear him. Why were they intending to hear him? Because he was speaking the truth. Because he was the creator God. You see, the creator God, when he speaks to us, he speaks to us the truth we need to hear. And he knows it because he wrote the instruction manual. And he created us. He created each of the Roman soldiers that would nail him to the cross. You ever think about that? He created them. He created Pontius Pilate who would say to him, what is truth? And the truth is standing right next to him. He created Judas Iscariot. He chose Judas as one of the twelve. Judas walked with him for three years. And yet he chose to go his own way. Why? Because you can be near him and not be with him. Herod said it this way, or King Agrippa said it this way to Paul almost you persuade me to be a Christian. There will be no almost Christians in heaven. There will be nobody that says, Well, I was going to do it, Lord. But at the last minute, I chose not to. But there will be those, like the thief on the cross, who at the very last minute, as he's gasping for breath, he can hardly speak, and yet he cries out to Jesus, Remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and Jesus says, Verily, verily, truly, truly, you can take this to the bank, in other words. What I'm saying to you is the truth. I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. Because as I cry out to the Lord for those that I love that are not believers, you know, as excited as we should be about the return of Christ, sometimes I ask God to wait because I have loved ones that I know would not be with him if he came back today. But he's not going to wait just because I ask him to. He has a plan, just like he had a plan for this donkey, just like he had a plan for Peter and John, just like he had a plan for Judas, and a plan for Pilate. He knew they wouldn't let him go. If they let him go, we wouldn't be here today. And if they had buried him in a tomb and left him there and he never rose again, we would be of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead? so we have hope for the future. As we contemplate Jesus clearing the temple, I just want to look very quickly at a couple verses in John. John chapter 7, verses 46 to 49. Someone could read that when they get to it. John 7, 46 to 49.
1: Officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then this Pharisee answered, them, Are you also deceived? Have you any have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law is accursed.
0: So again, it refers back to what I was talking about before. Over and over, Jesus shows us that he was not taken by force. They thought they were taking him by force. But it says in John chapter 18 that they he went and they went into the garden to get him. <clears throat> and he said, who, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said two simple words. He said, I am. And they fell backwards. Now, again, from a human perspective, I would like to think that maybe some of them
2: at least were rethinking what they were doing. Because the God of the universe just declared himself and I fell backwards. I can't even stand on my feet because I'm in his presence.
0: And yet they still arrested him. The disciples no doubt had remembered several times when Jesus would pass through the crowd and go on his way even when people wanted to take his life. So perhaps some of them were thinking he would do that at that point. But he didn't. Why didn't he? Because he loves you. And he loves me. That's what made that day different than all the others. It's interesting. One of the questions that's asked during the Passover is what makes this night different than all other nights? Well, I can tell you What made that night different than all other nights? It was because the king of the world decided to sacrifice himself for us. C.S. Lewis writes When the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade, all right, but what is the good of saying you are on his side then? When you see all the natural universe melting away like a dream and something else comes crashing in. This time it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will either strike irresistible love or irresistible horror horror into every creature. It will then be too late to choose your side. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, is the moment. It's our chance to choose the right side. Today is the day of salvation, the Apostle Paul writes. My question to you is, have you chosen to trust Him? And of course we know as we will read on later in Luke, that Jesus teaches throughout that week. And quite frankly, if I knew I was going to die at the end of the week, I probably would be tempted, at least on a human level, not to be teaching. I'd probably go into a hiding somewhere and spend as much time as I could with the disciples that I loved. Saying goodbye. Goodbye. But he doesn't do that because he knows he still has a ministry. He still has work to do. That final week was just as important as all the weeks leading up to it. And then, of course, culminating in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more exciting. Some people say that we shouldn't celebrate Easter because it has secular roots. But let me tell you this. I am so excited that every year we get one day to remember in a special way the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because, you know, it's interesting. When um, Lee Strobel was starting on this journey of disproving the Bible, he asked one of his colleagues at the Chicago Tribune who happened to be a believer, he said, how would I start to disprove the Bible? And his friend, who was wise and bold, said this, if you can disprove the resurrection, you can disprove Christianity because Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why I think, even though it's it's great to remember the cross, and there's nothing wrong with it, I love the breaking of bread to do that, we must not forget the resurrection in our celebration because we're, doing a ta- we're celebrating a table of a, of a Savior that is not dead, but risen. He said, one day I'll drink this fruit of the vine with you in my kingdom. So I just want you to remember that. They all walked
2: away, nothing to say. They just lost their dearest friend. All that he'd said, now he was dead.
0: So, this is how it would end. The dreams that they dreamed were not what they seemed now that he was
2: dead and gone. The guard in the jail, the hammer, the nail. How Death had lost, and life had won, for morning had come. The angel, the star, the kings from afar, the wedding, the water, the wine. Now it was done. They'd taken her son wasted before his time she knew it was true she'd watched him die too she'd heard them call him just a man but deep in her heart she knew from the start somehow her son would live the dawn, then came the morning, shadows vanished before the sun, death had lost and life had won, for morning had come, praise the Lord,
0: let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Palm Sunday. We thank you that our King came into Jerusalem on this donkey, as was prophesied. We thank you that he set his face like a flint, and that he was determined to do your will. We pray this. We pray today that you would change us. For having been under the sound of your word. We pray that we would weep over sin as Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And We pray that you would be continually committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. <coughs> I pray that you would bless each of these people in attendance today. And that you would make your face shine upon them. And that you would give them peace. And that if they don't have peace that they would come to know the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus.